Today on the Big Break Software Podcast, we have Farzad Rashidi. Farzad is a lead innovator and co-founder of Respona, which is a SaaS and all-in-one link building outreach software that helps online businesses increase their organic traffic from Google. Farzad is going to tell us how he came up with the idea for Respona, how he funded the MVP, how he gained his first few customers, and how he's been able to navigate his way from zero to product market fit. How are you today, Farzad? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Gordy. Great to have you. Can you start by telling us what particular problem you solve for your customers? Sure. So Respana, uh, Gordy, is a platform that helps you uh, reach, find and reach out to relevant authoritative publications in your space in order to build relationships with them and gain these uh, backlinks to your website that ultimately would help your content and, and website to start getting better rankings in Google. So we do we do our own backlinking now. You're, I'm sure you're familiar with um, Brian Dean, Skyscraper, you know, that sort of reaching out and finding people to do backlinks. It's a very important part of SEO strategy. What, what's your feelings on that Skyscraper? Is that sort of gray hat or is that white hat? What do you th- what's your feelings on that? <laughs> right. So Skyscraper is basically saying, hey, you produce a better piece of content and then you go and reach out to people who have mentioned an inferior piece and incentivize them to work with you to either give you an addition or a replacement. Now, obviously, just like any, it's just one out of a gazillion different strategies for link building. I seen it work in some industries, in some niches, and, and it doesn't work in some other ones. So link building in every for every company is a matter of experimentation to figure out what works best. And your job as a marketer is going to be basically limited in stuff that doesn't work and kind of doubling down on the strategies that work. Okay, great. So, so essentially, campaigns to get backlinks is not really, it's not black hat for sure, right? So and it's obviously what you built your SaaS on. <laughs> okay, right. Right. Okay. So it could be. For example, let me let me give you an example. If you're reaching out to other websites and you're like, hey, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you give me a backlink to your, from your website, that in eyes of Google is is uh, a big no no. So <laughs> that basically tells me is that the website that accepts a hundred dollars to get a backlink to give you a backlink is also expect accepting payments from a bunch of other people too so at the end of the day these links aren't going to be worth much in in the few rounds of google update because these websites are probably going to get nullified because they, they're going to get cut at some point so the the link building strategies that actually work are by building relationships with brands through tactics and strategies that basically is a partnership for example uh, Gordy, I'm getting a backlink from your website right now. So one of the strategies we ran through Respana is our podcast outreach strategy. So we go on as a guest on other people's podcasts. And uh, so the podcast host obviously gets a guest and, and we help you produce this episode. And you also help us and obviously getting us in front of your audience. So that's free advertising to a niche audience. And at the same time, we're getting those links to our website because normally podcasts repurpose the content and then normally add uh, links to the website from the show notes. So that's one example of uh, I don't know, a few dozen different strategies that we experiment with on a daily. That is not to say though, Gordy, that I'm only here <laughs> because you know, just we want a backlink. Obviously, 
it's a lot more than that. We're building partnerships with people in our space, and you know, we're buddies now, and uh, and having that relationship is a lot more important. But I, that's just an example of the type of strategies you can run with Respana is that it's not a matter of spamming the world. Our our motto is don't spam, build relationships. Okay, that makes sense. I notice that you do a lot of podcasts. I would say. Is this a sort of a recent campaign that you're doing or is this part of an overall strategy that you're doing to spread the word? Is this like a launch campaign? Because a lot of a lot of people kind of go in phases. They'll do like a month or two of podcasts, get a bunch of, you know, material out, um, build some relationships. But it then it doesn't seem like it's sustainable. Like what's your sort of feelings on on podcasting? Sure. So it, I have started going on podcasts more frequently recently. Now, I normally I'm picky over the podcasts I go on to and, and appearances that I pitch myself to just simply because obviously I have so many hours during the day. So I want to make sure that, you know, the podcasts that we decide to go on are actually relevant and, and podcasts that I actually can provide value to the audience who are listening. Right. So I would never go on like a cooking show just for the sake of going on a podcast because I can barely scramble eggs. Right. So podcast strategy for us, it is a consistent effort. And uh, Respana uh, helps us sort of find these specific podcasts that are uh, important in our space. So it's a, a, it goes through a combination of different metrics. I'm not sure whether you noticed, Gordy, but your podcast actually ranked uh, uh, in the top one and a half percent globally in terms of listeners. And the content that you put out is directly relevant to us. And, and it helped us found your contact info and send you a personalized pitch, <laughs> which I'm sure you got. And, uh, and, and that's something that is basically uh, one out of, as I said, a, a, a few different strategies that our marketing team does in order to help us get the word out there. That's great to hear about the podcast. So um, I think I'd like to sort of generally hear about how you came up with this idea, because it sounds like probably you have an SEO background, right? You were doing, um, my guess is that you were doing some backlinking and you found uh, it was a difficult process and and this is why you came up with the software. But Let's hear it in, you know, in your own words. Tell me the backstory for how you came up with Respona and why you felt like this was something that the market needed. Absolutely. So, Gordy, I started my career in marketing at a company called Visme. Have you heard of Visme before? I have not. No? All right. No hard feelings. I'm sure you've heard of tools like Canva or Prezi that are designed. Of course, tools. yeah. Those I have, yeah. Absolutely. So I joined as the first marketing hire at Visme, which is a B2B software. We cater predominantly to SMB Enterprise, uh, which is a brand content creation tool. So any business has a brand set of brand guidelines, you can come in and, and plug in your website and it will pull their brand guidelines. It helps you create like reports, proposals, presentations, infographics, etc. And uh, and when I joined the company, we were a completely bootstrap startup, still are up to this day. And I was tasked with finding a customer acquisition strategy that would basically help us uh, get customers consistently for years to come. And when I basically evaluated the options, uh, let me let me put uh, let me put it this way, Gordy. So let's say you you are a business, you you have a podcast, and you like to create a, a an infographic on the episode that we did today. Okay, what's the first step in your research process that you do? when you're trying to look for a new product that helps to create that infographic? What's, what's the absolute first thing you do when you're looking for a new product? Uh, like go, go, go to Google and search. Exactly. So 
basically we were like, okay, so instead of us having to pour all of our cash into paid ads, which is a very unscalable method of acquisition for us because the cost per clicks are doubling almost every year. And uh, it's because they use a bidding system. And also there's a diminishing return on investment because when you op- do- double your budget, ad budget, it doesn't mean you get double the conversions. <laughs> it's normally lower. So at some point you hit a plateau. And also cold outreach uh, wasn't in the cards for us at the time, just simply because our product was designed uh, very affordably. So uh, the subscription, uh, uh, starting subscription uh, packages that we have still today is like $15 a month. So it's not something you You're talking about Visme. Are you still associated with Visme? I'm getting there. Give me five more minutes, Gordon. We're, right, we're going to get yeah. there. Okay. <laughs> No problem. So so when I basically started to figure out, we were like, okay, let's start putting together these blog posts and these landing pages uh, to help Visme uh, get up in the search results and get basically organic traffic, which is the best of the traffic. So we don't have to pay for every single time somebody lands on our website. And also, so it's a way that we could scale the traffic for years to come without us having to pour all of our cash down that uh, you know black hole of paid advertising. So we, we spent a ton of resources, and guess what happened, Gordy, after we launched all these landing pages and blog posts? Traffic started to go up, and you started getting conversions. That's what we hoped. <laughs> but nothing happened, unfortunately. It was completely crickets. And we basically were like, okay, well, that's a little discouraging, because why uh, aren't we getting the results we wanted? So I pulled up Google, and I just looked up one of our keywords one day, and I was like, Okay, let me look up and see what pops up in Google. And I looked up the, one of our main keywords, which is presentation software. And guess how many search results Google brings up for presentation software? See how it gives you, hey, here's how many web pages have this keyword. Throw a number out there. 100,000 or something like that. It's three and a half billion, would it be? Oh, my, yeah, really. So yeah, there's three and a half billion web pages. <laughs> Right. So we're like, okay, well, if you're Google and if you have top of the line content, you have the cream of the crop content, you're in the top 1%. When there are three and a half billion search results, you're still in the millions. So how do you get from the million search result to the top 10 that get 99% of the clicks? And that's when it clicked that, hey, we probably need to go get some backlinks <laughs> because yeah. a, when other authoritative websites in your space are talking about you, and, and linking back to you. It's a part of the core Google algorithm that it's, it's in the eyes of Google, it's a vote of popularity. It means that this website must be credible because other people are talking about it. And, and the process of, and we're like, okay, great, let's go get some backlinks. And it turned out it's a lot easier said than done <laughs> when it comes right, to right. getting other people to do something for you. And so that, that whole process was sort of done manually and it's extremely inefficient and time consuming. So we decided to build an in a little internal tool, marketing team at Visme, that helped us sort of streamline the process by bringing the whole thing from A to Z under one roof. And it just worked ridiculously well. <laughs> we skyrocketed our productivity. We cut around 80% of average cost. Can we break that down? What exactly did this tool do? So the tool does no magic. So what it basically does is what you do manually in order to find opportunities and get the contacts, just automates a lot of the dirty work so that you have more time left for personalization. So the tool itself first helps you, okay, you published a web page, great. Let's go and see 
depending on the strategy, as I said, there's different kinds of strategies. But for this webpage, what are some of the other publications that you need to reach out to based on that strategy? Okay, so let's find a list of those websites first. Now, let's go see who's the right person to contact for each one of these websites. It goes to Google, then it finds a site, then it'll go to the, say, About Us uh, page or something, and then kind of finds the, finds the information, gets the email. Is that sort of what we're talking about? Right. Wish that was that easy, Gordy. Yes. Unfortunately, emails through About Us page doesn't normally get any replies. So we're, we have partnerships with about 24 different data providers, also integrations with SEO tools like Ahrefs and SEMrush that uh, it pulls data depending on the strategy from all of these data sources. For finding contacts, we also have another set of data providers that finds company employee data, finds the right person in the marketing team. Okay. So you did all that at VizMe? That's right. We did all that manually at Visme, and it was just extremely time consuming. So Respana basically helped us automate a lot of that dirty work and, and left us time now that we could actually use to personalize the pitches that we sent out and instead of us just doing research. And that whole process was, was led to the creation of Respana, which is now a standalone product. And then at the time was an, our secret weapon, right? It was our internal software that we had built for ourselves. And uh, I convinced uh, Respondas, actually me, Visme CEO, Paymon, who's my co-founder at, at Respondas, to um, let us uh, to get this out there as a standalone tool. And that's sort of how Respondas was born as a standalone software, as a, uh, as a uh, sister company to Visme. Okay, I get it. So, so Visme provided some funding. One of the, the founder of Visme is also co-founder with Respondas. And then he, he sort of spun you off. And now you're running that as a standalone, essentially. So the, the two companies are, sorry, what was the name of the co-founder that runs Visme? Sure, Paymon Tai. So he is the founder of CEO of Visme. Paymon, okay. Now, how much, in, how much is he involved in the sort of day-to-day -day with responding? Is he mostly doing Visme? Yes, he is. So he is not involved with the day-to-day -day of the operation. Obviously, you know, we talk on, on the big decisions, but I run the platform and uh, respond and we, we got a small lean team here, but Visme obviously is a wildly successful startup, about a hundred employees. So payments uh, has his hands full. <laughs> okay. Okay. That makes sense. So let's go into why the, the tool back then was so successful. Like what was, what was sort of the things that you guys were doing you know, like how long did it take to build this tool? Like it sounds like some kind of beta tool that automated the stuff that you were doing manually. Like how long did it take to build this tool? Right. And so that it was working. Right. So the MVP version, Gordy, was sort of put together with duct tape. And by duct tape, I mean, there's, there were a bunch of APIs and their external APIs, which I personally am not a biggest fan of because and then you're basing your product of other people's product. So, <laughs> uh, but, but it, it was quick enough for us to be able to get an MVP out just for our internal team to use. Again, and we weren't intending on, uh, on releasing this as a, as a new business we, because we, we already had a business. We were just trying to build something for ourselves. Right, right. And uh, so that was rather done quickly, but it was an ugly looking tool. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the best design and, and not quite intuitive, but it was good enough that it got the job done. And we were like, okay, that's awesome. Uh, let's see if other people are willing to pay for it because obviously we would pay for a tool like this, but... Are there any other companies that are doing the same things? So we would release an MVP 
And what I did to kind of get some exposure, it was to actually write, write an ebook that is live actually to this day. It's, it's called VizMe Marketing Playbook, uh, which was basically over the course of the years, we had experimented with a bunch of different strategies and I had actually outlined step-by-step strategies we used to like grow Visme's traffic to over 3 million in monthly organic traffic. That's worth about a million and a half in paid advertising that we're getting for free. So I basically spilled all the beans and I had, uh, you know, put together this playbook together and step-by-step step with instructions, hey, here's how you can replicate this. <laughs> so we went and partnered up with a few other companies and had a similar audience. And we basically ran an ebook campaign that brought us, I think, about 10,000 downloads uh, the first two weeks. And then we got those leads and we were like, hey, I know we saw you download our ebook. We just released our own internal tool, Respana, uh, that you can use to implement some of these strategies. Do you want to try it out? And people were like, yes. <laughs> so, so this was this ebook was hugely successful, it sounds like. Yes. And we also partnered with a company called AppSumo and they launched it as a freebie. Yeah. So we had an exclusive launch with them at the beginning. So they put us in front of like a million subscribers. I'd like to know a little bit about this ebook just just quickly. Can you can you tell me about the ebook? Like how long was it? Um, how long did it take you to to create the ebook? Because I mean, a lot of people say, "Oh, ebooks, it's got to be junk," you know, whatever. To tell me what was so great about this ebook? Why did people respond to it? Right. What was great about the ebook that we didn't just hire a writer to write an ebook. I sat down and typed the whole thing, whole damn thing. It's about it's 160 pages. <laughs> so, the matter of fact is that it wasn't just talking theoretical terms. We were like, "Hey, we made it." And so, the title of the book at the time was "How We Bootstrap Visme to Over Four Million Active Users." Right now, Visme has 14, so we've come a long way since the ebook is launched. But but it was basically practical step by step instructions. We're like, "Hey, we've tried we tried." ton of different marketing tactics. Most of them didn't work. Here are the step-by-step instructions to the ones that worked. <laughs> and a big part of it, of course, has to do with our SEO and our content marketing. So I step-by-step. And, and, and we actually made it very non-promotional. So actually, I have very little plugs to respond to or VisMe in the ebook. It's all purely educational. So I, we're like, here's how you can do it yourself manually without any tools. But if you want to scale your outreach, here's a tool that helps you do that if you if you want to save some time, right? So that that ebook definitely got us some eyeballs on it, but obviously it wasn't a sustainable thing, right? It's a one and done thing. And uh, so that that brought us some exposure. We started selling our private beta, which was, as I said, not the best looking product. <laughs> it was it was sort of done, as I said, put together with duct tape. And they were like, guys, this is awesome. People are obviously interested in the product. So let's uh, let's actually build a solid tool platform. And this is a sustainable business. Let's uh, let's invest some resources on it. So we basically hired a team of engineering and a designer. And we basically took the entire year of 2021 to build our 1.0 version. So it was Responda Beta when we launched in 20, late 2019. Over the course of 2020, we were selling the beta, and then that's towards the end of that 2020 year, we started actually redesigning the entire platform. And so uh, with a brand new infrastructure, back-end, front-end, we uh, launched our 1.0 version November of last year, November of 2021. And it's been a wild ride since. 
Okay, so so essentially you've been live uh, with this new version for like say the eight eight months or something like that. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, that that is correct. The the one version. That's right. Okay, great. And and the first version that you had, what like how long was it? You did, you did the app Sumo uh, launch. You got ten thousand users that you sort of uh, started to nurture with this nurture sequence that you did. That's this is mostly where you were getting your early right. sales of that that MVP version. Right. We've never done an app Sumo sale for Respana. We launched an ebook for free on AppSumo. We never did a uh, AppSumo launch for Respana just simply because we have recurring data costs. So it doesn't make sense for us to have a, a LTV uh, so, or a, a, a any lifetime deal. So we never been on AppSumo. We're never going to be releasing any sort of lifetime deals just because our business model doesn't support that type of structure. What we did though was that we partnered with AppSumo to get some eyeballs on the ebook that we had put together, did an exclusive launch with them. And then people who had signed up for the ebook got an email from us to come and try out Respana. And that was at the very beginning, obviously. Right. How was your experience with AppSumo, would you say? Was it a positive? Uh, what was like what were the costs? How did you get in with them? Right. Yeah, there was no cost, obviously, at the time. We had a great relationship with them because uh, we had launched Visme back in, I believe, 2017 or 16. Uh, we actually had done an LT, uh, LTD with Visme because Visme's product obviously made sense to do an LTD at the very beginning. So we, I think we issued like 3,000 licenses and we sold out within the first few days. But why did it make sense? Because it sort of has a broad appeal and it has a low price point or, or what, why did it appeal? More so in terms of the terms of the business model. So Visme's marginal cost is very little. So when you go and create an account on Visme, everything is hosted by servers and you can just go design things, right? Uh, Respond on the other hand, we have data costs. So every time you go use our platform, we are plugged into these premium data providers and we need to provide data to you. Okay. So from a business perspective, when you issue a, a LTD to a client, it means that, hey, I absorb all the marginal costs for the rest of eternity. So for Visme, it makes sense because that's very little. It's in cents. But for Respana, it's actual real data cost that's involved now. So it just doesn't make any sense to offer that as a, as a lifetime. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, great. So what kind of feedback were, were you getting when the, when the MVP was there? And like, what, why did you decide to, to like totally blow this out and, and, and rebuild it? Like, you know, sort of talk to me through that transition, like what was involved in that. And, and at that time, was that when you decided to form Respona or was it, had it already been formed, the, this spinoff from Visme? Right. It was already formed as a separate entity, just for liability reasons, of course. But, uh, but we didn't know whether it was going to be a success. So we, at the time, obviously, we were just experimenting. We are saying, hey, let's put this out there, see if anybody pays for it, and get some early users in and, and see what they think. And then it ended up actually people wanted to use it. And up to, one of the things that stood out to me was that even though the product was not very well designed, the MVP version, and obviously it was very clunky and slow, people were using it every day. <laughs> I was like, okay, if someone's willing to deal with this <laughs> and still use it every day, that means we got something here. So just imagine what would happen when we actually released that 1.0, which is blazingly fast and it's got incredible designs, very simple to use. 
and we doubled our revenue and customer base since we launched that MB, uh, our 1.0 version in the past six, seven months. Sorry, this show is a bit technical, so I want to I want to unpackage that as well. So, what was the first MVP? Was it like a WordPress plugin, or what? Why was it bad? So it was a SaaS platform. So it was bad for a number of reasons. One was that so the infrastructure wasn't set up right. So right now we use Kubernetes and and microservice structure for each of different parts of our application. I think we have around 34, 35 different microservices. It was all put together in one <laughs> in one instance for our MVP. So meaning that if one part of the application went wrong, it would take the whole thing down. So there were some stability issues there because obviously, so right now it has auto healing and you know it, we almost haven't had a downtime since we launched in, in November. So it's stability issue, the performance obviously, so that the way the database was structured was not the best optimized way of doing that. It's like we didn't have proper indexing uh, just because obviously it was very new to us at the time because we only had one user and that was Visme. So <laughs> we didn't need to go get fancy with all that stuff. So we were basically just wanted to make it work for one user and we started opening it up to everyone. So it slowed down the performance and it was just not set up right. And also the technologies we were using weren't the best. So the backend runs on, on Kotlin and Java which was solid. We had a, our CTO, our Alex, our lead developer, he's a Java guy, so he he really liked the backend. But the problem was also with the front end, we were using uh, Vue. And uh, the job market for Vue is not the best because I don't, I'm, not, I'm a big believer in hiring engineers that are specialized either on backend or front end. I haven't personally had much good experience with full stack devs because full stack devs are either front end devs that also know a little bit of backend or the back backend devs then also know a little bit of front end. So I like to have people specialize on backend and front end, uh, or backend or front end. And the problem was that a lot of front end engineers that we were trying to hire didn't want to touch Vue. So we factored that to React, which is incredibly larger job market there. And also the backend obviously was refactored. So there were a number of reasons. So I didn't want to get into this level of technical depth, but hopefully, I, so since you asked for Gordy, hopefully that makes more sense now. Yeah, no, it does. I, I know this, I mean, I believe me, I get these questions, like a lot of developers listen to this show and they're like saying, why, why did he do it this way? So they appreciate when, when we get into this, you know, to this level. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so that all makes sense. Was, was there a bad designer in the beginning when it was with Visme? I mean, did you have to change the dev team to, to kind of restructure this or, or was that not a problem? I mean, it was just, it was just sort of put together loosely as a, you know, in-house tool, and it was not a problem with the developer, um, the original development architecture uh, decisions that he made right. or they made. Right. So, no, the the initial design, we had no designer. So it was just me drawing some lines on the paper and handing it over to the dev. <laughs> we had like 50 shades of gray and <laughs> the colors were all over the place. So uh, for the 1.0 design, because we didn't know it was going to be a viable business idea. So we didn't want to spend our time picking up, picking out icons, you know. So we were just trying to get a MVP out there as soon as possible, see if anyone would pay for the function. And with the 1.0 design, obviously we got a professional designer and 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 also product designer, um, UX designer, graphic designer. So there's a group of freelance designers and that we had relationships with previously. And and our number one employee, our first developer, is our lead developer now. He's a kick-ass dev, so he's been with us for, for a number of years. So no, it wasn't a matter of 
technical expertise. We kind of wanted to do it that way to get a proof of concept before we started, you know, obviously investing time and resources on this kind of cosmetic things. Okay, great. Let's go back to the launch. You had some users, I guess these users kept on using this first bad version uh, during the time that you were building, you know, the new version 1.0. Um, is that right? Or were you still, was it, was the cart still open or the gate, you know, the payment, the paywall was still open and you were still getting new users or did you shut it down? Yes, we were we were selling. So I, I over exaggerated a little. It wasn't that bad. The the MV, the MVP version wasn't like horrible. Obviously, compared to what we have now, it was bad. But at the time, it did the job done. And obviously, we you know wanted to do business right. So plus, it's a subscription business. So if the product doesn't work, they're just going to cancel. So it doesn't make sense. So no, the product was working well. Uh, we actually broke even multiple times because we were kept hiring. So the product was selling and, and people were using it. Obviously, churn was higher than it is now because, you know, people couldn't figure out how to use it exactly right because it wasn't quite as intuitive. So we're onboarding users manually. So we're basically teaching them how to use the tool. And you no, know, we were adding functionalities and features because the product was very bare at the time. So we had to spend some time since during 2020, we actually were building new features. The dev team would say, okay, well, we, you know, you were kind of limping along on the old version. So, okay, we absolutely have to do this in order to, to grow. And then you got the new version that was all slick. How was the process bringing the old, the users on the old version to the new, to the new version? How was that process and how did you do it? Did you have like, Hey, we'll, we'll bring you over and this is how we'll do it. Or how, you know, was there resistance as, Oh, I don't want to have to learn something new. How, how was that process? Oh man, I still have PTSD from that migration. Um, I just, uh, <laughs> so uh, problem with responder is not something you could just shut down and then tell people to, hey, go now, sign up for this new version with a brand new database. We had to build a migration tool because Responder runs email campaigns, right? So there are campaigns that are running. So they're, that, mm -hmm. you know, they're in a queue. And we had like okay. over 100, you know, users at the time that were users as in logos. So there were, I would say, close to about 1,000 users there. And we couldn't just shut it down. So we had to build a migration tool that would read the data from the database of the old version, translate that into the new version, and basically get that data to be compatible and also be functional in the new version. So that was a big, big technical challenge that we faced, but we had to rip that bandaid at some point because I also talked to the team and I was like, guys, listen, Building software is like building Legos, right? So you keep building on top of the same base. And if you're, if we keep building on this MVP, we all we all know that this is not a scalable, right? The database structure, the, the way the microservices are based, it's not the it's not a scalable way. Uh, we are building a sustainable business. We want to be around for decades to come. So we have to build it from the scratch, from scratch, from the ground up the right way and have to, you know, bite that bullet and, and sort of migrate people in. And I know it's going to suck, but <laughs> we have to do it. There's no way around it. So we, we ended up deciding on that and, and move forward. So you built the tool and that was part of the sort of launch. That's right. So about how many users did you have when you converted over and you had the new tool, roughly how many users? I think it was close to about a thousand. A thousand. Okay. So you're getting good usage uh, at the time. So that's, it's significant to bring them all over. 
how long did the transition take to to go from the old to the to the new ones? Are we talking about like six months? I mean, I know you've only been running for about eight months. Are there still people using the old tool now? No, no, the old tool was shut down immediately. So when we wanted to do the mic, so as I said, we migrated all their data to the new version so that you log in the next day, it's a new platform, but your, all of your data is still in there. The campaigns are still running. That was the technical challenge for us to make it seamless because it wouldn't make sense for us to have support two separate products. It just wouldn't make sense. So, so yeah, we, we basically did that and ripped the Band-Aid and, and brought everyone over and, and migrated them. And basically, it was obviously a lot of issues at the time because the versions weren't as compatible. So it's like there were some campaigns that if you wanted to go and adjust the campaign based on the new version. So we had to spend about, I would say, close to three to four weeks on uh, compatibility uh, and making sure that any existing older campaigns that were brought over were compatible with the new version. But the app was working and, and obviously it took us a while to migrate everyone over and, and basically initially, and eventually we shut down the, the old app. But the good news is though, is that this new version now is helping us 10x our <laughs> productivity when it comes to development. Because everything is uh, the right rock solid structure, everything's so modular, and we can build features and, and keep the entire platform stable at all times. We have almost 100% um, uptime um, because it's almost impossible to shut down Responder now because <laughs> everything's super modular. And um, yeah, it's been a wild ride, but I, I, I'm very excited for the next round of updates we're running. So we are actually releasing our 1.1 version, which is our first big update since our 1.0. Uh, last November, which is uh, going to contain a few major new features for our, our platforms, including some new automations, uh, new integrations, and a global inbox, which as uh, like a collaborative inbox. Um, so that those features are going live actually within a few days from now, which hopefully by the time this episode is live, uh, we have those in. So we have had, but we talk to our customers constantly. So we have a pretty good idea what to build and what they want. And uh, now we're we have a booked up. I would say 12 month roadmap that every two weeks we're, we're making pushes to that production and, and uh, things are going great, but it was a rough, rough road to get here. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like that migration, you know, I mean, that is, as you say, a necessary bandaid that just needed to be ripped off. And I'm sure it aggravated some customers. You made it through. What was the chief marketing channel that, or the chief marketing I guess channel really that has has led to the significant growth that you've had with the launch of the new platform. Like, what did you guys do to launch? What was working? I imagine SEO is is a big part of it. Can you just talk to me about the whole sort of launch and the marketing that's that's working for you now? Yeah, so we eat our own dog food, Gordy. So uh, Respondent's main customer acquisition channel is through our SEO channel. So we're getting close to about 90, 100K in monthly organic traffic. And uh, we produce lots of free educational material, content, a lot of landing pages. Like if you go and look up like link building software, et cetera, and normally Respondent's at the top. And basically that, that organic channel is, is number one. Number two is word of mouth because SEO is somewhat of a small world uh, people talk to each other and if your product is actually good they're going to refer it <laughs> so word of mouth is strong and also we have obviously we we do some other 
marketing initiatives, like for example, what I'm doing right now, going on other people's podcasts and running listicles and and getting review, uh, reviews from other bloggers in our space. So uh, it's a combination of a few things, but number one ch- acquisition channel for us is our SEO or our content marketing. Okay. And for anyone that's listening right now, what sort of, like what kind of budget are, do you recommend people spend? Uh, let's say if someone's got a SaaS, low price point, right? So it makes sense for them to do SEO. Uh, you know, anywhere from say 15 to say a hundred, a hundred per month. Is that what you say the sort of sweet spot is for SEO or would you just counter and say, no, I think SEO is good for everything, every, every price point. Right. I don't think price point is necessarily the only determining factor here, Gordy, because the way I always ask people to figure out whether SEO is the right channel for you is that is put yourself in shoes of a customer and, and people who come in, ask them how they found you. Put yourself in shoes of a customer. You're like, okay, I have this problem. First, are are your customers aware of the problems they're solving? Like, for example, I was talking to a friend of mine who's who's in a medical device industry, and they sell this like very expensive software for like specific equipment in hospitals. I mean, that that's just not something people Google to find. <laughs> it's just an entirely different sales cycle. So go hire, don't waste your time in SEO, go hire a bunch of SDRs and BDRs and go knock door to door and sell that thing, right? But but if your customers are aware of the problem they're solving, so I asked you this at the very beginning of the interview, Gordy, I was like, hey, let's say you want to create an infographic. What's the first thing you do? You go on Google and start Googling. Yeah. Okay, so are your customers aware of the problem? Yes. What are they using to find you or any product or service to solve that problem? Is the answer Google? Yes. Okay, so it's almost idiotic for you not to focus on your SEO. doesn't matter how much resources you have because in, if you have less resources, just produce content less frequently. But if your customers are hanging out there, you want to be showing up in a place where, where your customers are, are searching for you. And, and so it's not so much about the price point necessarily. It's, it's, in, it's more so in terms of the buyer journey. Okay. And so what about guidelines on, let's say, let's break down your content marketing strategy. What, like how many times do you post uh, per month? Right. So I get this question a lot, Gordy. And then it's like, hey, how much content should I produce? How much time should I spend on link building? And it all is all relevant to the amount of resources you have available. So for example, Vizme produces heck of a lot more content than Respondo is because we're a smaller company. So it's not so much about how much resources you're spending on it because that's just directly correlated with the stage of the company and how much resources you have at hand. But it's more so in terms of allocation of resources that's going to make or break your SEO. So the way we found the sweet spot to be is we spend 20% of our resources on content creation. The other 80% goes into promotion and link building, meaning we spend four times the amount of time we spend on creating on promotion. And that's the exact opposite ratio normally how other companies do content marketing. They just pump out a bunch of content, get zero traffic. They're like, oh, it doesn't work. (laughs) They're missing a very key important step, which is link building and promotion because it's awkward. People don't want to do it, right? You don't want to talk to people. You just want to put out a content on WordPress, click publish. You don't have to talk to anyone, right? And it just simply doesn't work anymore, especially for competitive industries uh, that compete with a bunch of other websites. You can get away with it in some small niche uh, markets where there's not a whole lot of competition. But nowadays, especially after COVID, things have been accelerated a lot. So, for example, if you're a small company, one-man show, produce one piece of content once a month, right? I think we can all agree everybody can do that. And then spend the rest of the time, rest of the month on promotion and link building. 
you know, rinse and repeat. Now, until you hit a point, you're like, hey, we got customers now. Okay, great. Now hire someone. So just increase the frequency based on the amount of resources that you have. But it's important to keep the allocation ratio the same. Okay, so so let's break down the, the obviously we know the link building is done by uh, Respana and it's I'm sure what's the price point? It sounds like it's probably pretty low. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So Respana's pricing is as uh, everybody starts at ninety nine dollars a month and it's build month to month. We also give a free onboarding session and a thirty day guarantee. So if they don't like it, they just get the money back. But Honestly, for folks who are listening, I wouldn't recommend you to go sign up today if, you, if you're just starting out, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think what you should do is that you can do a lot of what Responda does manually. Just go and send one email today and see how, how the process is like and experiment with a few different things. Do, you can do most of it manually, so it's going to take a little more time. But then you hit a point, you're like, hey, listen, I know this works. This is great that I know this is the right strategy for us. Then it almost becomes a no-brainer sign up for a tool like Respondo because 99 bucks a month is going to save you tens of hours every single week. So it, right. it's just, right. <laughs> it just it's a no-brainer. But, but before that, if you're a small business, you're just starting out with your SaaS, you're like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. And you're like, oh, $99, that's rich. That's another subscription on top of everything else I have to pay for, right? So it's just, if you have that mentality, just don't sign up for it. It's, it's a waste of your money and time. Just go try to do it yourself manually and then you can use Respond to scale that. Yeah. And how about promotion? What's, what's your big, uh, just tell me about promotion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So promotion, Gordy, there's a ton of different strategies, more than I can fit in a few minutes. But what I would recommend, I want to send folks to a free resource that's on gated on our Respondent website. We have something called an outreach strategy hub, kind of like a recipe book of different templates and strategies you can use to promote your SaaS or your or, or your content. Uh, so if you just navigate to respona.com, R-E-S-P-O-N-A.com, at the very bottom of the page, uh, we have something called Outreach Strategy Hub. And it's a free, ungated, open <laughs> list of recipes of strategies with templates that you can easily go and replicate. And that's how you'd be able to kind of get, get a head start on your promotion strategies. Okay, thanks so much for your time, Farzad. Obviously, we're going to send people to Respona.com. Uh, the promotional strategy sounds like it can be reached, found on, on the outreach link at the bottom of the Respona site. Uh, I'm going to be checking it out myself. But uh, any, anywhere else that you can, uh, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in the, in the content or topic? Sure, absolutely. My well, my name is Farzad Rashidi. There aren't a whole lot of them out in this world, so I stick out like a sore thumb on LinkedIn. <laughs> so you can reach out, find me easily there, and reach out. I'd love to connect with folks. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Farzad. It's my pleasure.